these are my car keys. And in my house, these keys usually, usually sit on these hooks um, that are right by our door heading out to go um, out into the garage. How many of you have something like that? You have like some hooks where your car keys sit? Okay, yeah, many people. So uh, there's nothing worse for me than when I am five minutes late to leave somewhere, which I perpetually am always five minutes late everywhere I seem to go. And so I'm trying to get out the door and I go to the hooks that are sitting right there looking for my car keys and I'm staring right at it and there's no car keys on the hook. And so I'll look at usually for a grand total of about 15 seconds before I yell my wife's name and I'll say, Carrie, where are my car keys? And usually from some other place in the house, she will yell back, did you check the hooks? To which I will say, of course I checked the hooks. That's the first place I looked. And so what will happen, I can't even tell you how many times in the 19 years of marriage uh, we've been together that this has happened. She will walk in from the other room. She will walk right up to the hooks where all the keys are, and she will go, oh, here you go. Here's your car key. Unbelievable. Uh, same thing happens with the remote control. I'll sit down to watch TV. I'll turn to the left, uh, turn to the right, the end tables on both sides, and I cannot find the remote control. And so I will look under the couch cushions, and then I will yell, Carrie, where is the remote control? What did you do with the remote control? That's usually what comes next. I, and again, she'll say, did you check the end table? Of course I checked the end table. It's the first place I check. She'll walk in from the other room, walk over to the end table, and go, here you go. Here's the remote. This is called husband's disease. Uh, does anybody else suffer from this besides me and who is willing to actually admit it? Yes. I, I'm serious. I don't know how she does this. One time, no joke at all, I was open, I had opened the refrigerator door. I'm staring, and I'm like, where are the pickles? I can't find the pickles. She walks in front of me, reaches her arm in right to the shelf I am staring at, and pulls out <gasps> the pickles. Unbelievable. I have no idea how she does this. This has happened so many times where I'm looking right at something. I should be seeing it. It's right underneath my nose. The problem is I'm just overlooking it. It's not that it's not there. It's not that it's actually been moved or lost. It's just something about the familiarity of it. I'm just overlooking it even though it's right there. Today I want to start a new series uh, called Zeros Not Heroes. And we're going to basically, with this series, for the next four weeks, take the next step with our vision as a church. If you're new to Frontline, you might not know, our vision is encapsulated in these five zeros. And so today, I want to begin this series talking about how, how do we begin to live out these zeros and take it, take it to the next step in our community. And so I want to talk to you about these first two zeros today, zero people lost and zero people unconnected in community. It's the first two zeros of our vision, this idea that if we are not done as a church, Frontline is not done until there are zero lost people and zero people who are living unconnected in community. Uh, that is, that's our goal. When we look around at our world, that's the goal. And so I, I want to begin by reading the passage of Scripture that those two zeros come out of. Zero lost people, zero unconnected people. And so this is Luke 15. It's where we get this language of zero. Um, starting in verse 3, Jesus is telling his disciples a story. And he says, if a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. 
In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and who have not strayed away. So there's some basic numbers here in that story. It's a shepherd who has 100 sheep, right? And then one of those sheep goes missing. It's lost. And so the story Jesus tells is that the shepherd leaves the 99 behind and he goes in search of that one lost sheep. And the reason he goes in search of that one lost sheep is not because he's trying to get back to 100, okay? The goal is not to push to 200 or 300. The reason the shepherd goes after the one lost sheep is because zero lost sheep is the goal. Zero sheep that are unconnected and lost. That, that's the goal. That's the heart of the shepherd. And that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God for our world. When we look at our world, it's not God's heart that we would have 100, 200, 300 people in church. The idea is that there would be zero lost people in our world, zero people unconnected to the body of Christ and community. And so what I want to just drill into a little bit today as we talk about how do we take the next step with that is this idea that sometimes things that seem lost in our world are actually right under our nose. It's just that we are overlooking them. It's not that they're lost. It's that we just don't see them. We stare right at them, and yet we overlook them. Just like my car keys, just like the remote control, just like the pickles. We just overlook them. Here's what I believe. Uh, I think people in our community know there is a church here. A, f- a few years ago, that might not have been true. This building looked like an old brick Meyer building, and people had no idea there was a church in here. Today, I think our community knows that Frontline Community Church is in this building. Um, people in our community, they see their friends and family members going to church. Uh, they drive by the church every day on their way to work, on their way to school. They read the Facebook posts and things like that. Uh, and, and yet they don't come to church because they don't think it's for them. They don't really know what it's about. And in fact, a lot of times people have brokenness in their own lives. Uh, and so they think, um, I could never go there. There's no way. And maybe they got a divorce at some point in their life, so they think, there's no way I'd be welcomed if I went in the doors of a church. Or maybe they got, had an abortion at some point, and so they think Christians hate them. I and mean, maybe they even think God actually hates them. And so they stay away because they think, it's not for me. That's just not for me. Uh, and yet, if we were to pull every single person in this room and ask the question, how did you get here? How did you somehow get inside, make your way into the church? Probably what almost every one of us would say is, well, there was a person, and that person invited me. And then I went to church with that person, and that's how I got here. For almost all of us, that's the way it works. There are people who are right under our nose in our community, all around us. It's not that they're lost, it's just that we are overlooking them. We tend to overlook people who we see and interact with all the time. Uh, what's interesting is we're not the first, and we're not the only ones. I want to look today at uh, a story in the scriptures. It's from a book of the Bible called Philemon. How many of you have ever read the New Testament book of Philemon? Uh, only, okay, not, not a ton of people. So it's not a story that's really, that we talk about a lot, that you hear about a lot. It's a very short book in the New Testament. It was written by a guy named Paul. Now, Paul wrote most of the New Testament as we know it. And most of the letters that Paul wrote and that we have that make up our New Testament were letters that he wrote to churches, to entire groups of people. So uh, Paul helped to start these churches. So when you read the book of Colossians in the New Testament, 
Paul is writing to a church, a group of people who are in the city of Colossae. This, it's in modern-day Turkey. And so that's who Paul is writing to. He's writing to this group of people. Ephesians was written to a group of people, a, ch- a church that's there in Ephesus in the ancient world. But the book of Philemon is kind of unique because it was only written to one dude. It's addressed to one guy only. It's a, it's a very short letter that Paul wrote to a guy named Philemon. Now, what we know about Philemon and what, uh, is that Philemon was a follower of Jesus who was an active member in the church in Colossae. He was an active member as, and was part of the church that Paul wrote the book of Colossians to. So he's a, he's a member of the church in Colossae, and what we also know about him is that he was a slave owner. This was very common in the ancient world. He owned slaves. And he has a slave by the name of Onesimus, which is the subject of the book of Philemon. And so what's happening in the story of Philemon is Paul is writing Philemon. Paul at this time is in Rome. He's actually in prison in Rome. And somehow Paul has met Onesimus, the slave that's owned by Philemon, all the way back in Colossae. And what's happening is somehow Paul has met Onesimus and he's led Onesimus to Jesus. He's introduced him to Jesus Christ. And basically what he said is, Philemon, you're worth, or he he said, Onesimus, you're worth your value is not in your status as a slave. It's actually in the person of Jesus. You were so valuable to God. You were so valuable to him that Jesus came. Jesus died on a cross sacrificially for your sins. He gave himself for you. And then he rose from the grave so that you could have a new life. So that you could no longer be a slave, no longer just have that as your identity and your status, but that you could have a whole new life that goes on for eternity in Jesus. That's how loved you are. That's how valuable you are. And Paul tells Onesimus this. Onesimus uh, receives Christ as his Savior. He gets introduced to Jesus. And so the letter of Philemon is Paul is writing Philemon back in Colossae, and he's saying, hey, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And uh, when Onesimus, your slave, returns to the church there in Colossae, I want you to accept him as a brother and not as a slave. Can you do that for me, Philemon? Can you accept your former slave Onesimus back as a brother in Christ because that's what he is and no longer treat him as a slave? That's kind of the, that's the story of the book of Philemon, which raises immediately for me all kinds of questions. Uh, The first one that it raises for me is how in the world did Onesimus get from Colossae to Rome? How did that even happen? Uh, go ahead uh, to that map. This is just a picture of the world at this time, of the writing of the book of Philemon. You can see there the kind of the white uh, box there. That's where Colossae is, modern-day Turkey. So Philemon this is um, in the church in Colossae. He owns a slave, Onesimus, and Onesimus is part of the church there with his slave owner in Colossae. They're part of the church of Jesus Christ in Colossae. And what happens is Onesimus somehow has to go all the way up to your top left-hand corner of the screen to Rome. Rome was the epicenter of culture and commerce in this day. He has to go all the way to Rome and meet Paul before he's introduced to Jesus. He's right there in the church in Colossae, but he has to go all the way to Rome. Now, you kind of wonder, like, what brought him to Rome? Some people believe that what happened is that Onesimus stole something from Philemon and ran away. There's some reference in the book of Philemon to this idea that he stole something. But that's what a lot of people think is that he, he stole something, he ran away, and just by chance he somehow made it all the way to the prison in Rome, and he just by chance happens to meet Paul and get introduced to Jesus. I think that's far-fetched, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't buy it. Too, too many coincidences in that story for me. So what I think actually happened, what many people believe actually happened, 
is that what we know about Rome at this time in um, culture and history is that Rome had a thriving slave market. They had a thriving slave trade market. In other words, if I owned a slave in the ancient world and I wanted to sell that slave for the highest top dollar possible, I'd go to Rome. Rome had the best slave trade market. You could get top dollar for a, for a slave in Rome. So here's what many people believe. Many people believe that Paul, because he was incarcerated in Rome, um, at that time you could receive financial gifts and you could send letters and all that kind of stuff in, um, in uh, prison. And so what many people believe is Philemon wanted to support Paul financially. And so what he did is Philemon sent his slave Onesimus all the way to Rome where he knew uh, he could give Onesimus to Paul and Paul could then sell Onesimus on the slave trade market and get top dollar for Paul and then you, or top dollar for Onesimus and then use that money, Paul could use that money to then finance the ministry he was a part of. So that's what Philemon's doing. He's sending Onesimus over to financially support Paul. I believe in the ministry you're doing, Paul. I'm sending my slave to you. And so Onesimus comes to Rome to be sold as a slave, hands himself over to Paul. And, it's, and what Paul does, instead of selling him on the slave trade market, Paul introduces him to Jesus and then sends him back to Philemon. And the letter says, Philemon, I want you to introduce yourself to your brother in Christ, Onesimus. He's no longer your slave. He is your brother in Christ. I mean, are, are you getting this? Onesimus is in the church in Colossae. He has to go all the way to Rome before he's introduced to Jesus. But when you, when you hear that, when you begin to understand kind of the story that's underneath the book of Philemon, instantly, I mean, you start to think to yourself, oh man, this guy Philemon, he must have been a jerk. I mean, what a jerk. How did he not even see, how did he not even bother to explain the gospel to this guy, Onesimus, right there in the church with him? But actually, he wasn't a jerk. He actually really wasn't a bad guy. Listen uh, to how Paul addresses Philemon at the beginning of the, the letter to him. Philemon 1 verse 4 says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon. Because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Your love for all God's people. Am I, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Philemon was a devoted follower of Jesus. He just missed it. Philemon was generous to the poor. That line about uh, you've refreshed the hearts of God's people, that's a, that's a reference to generosity. Philemon was a giver. He, he gave generously and sacrificially to the ministry. He just missed it. Philemon wasn't lacking part of the gospel or his understanding. It wasn't like he failed to understand what the gospel was about or didn't have the full understanding of who Jesus was. He understood it. He just missed it. Onesimus, the slave, was, uh, was a person that Philemon could overlook. He was a human being that Philemon, just because of the world he lived in and the blinders he had on, he just couldn't see. Are there people in our world that we overlook? 
other people in our community all around us. They're right under our nose, just like the car keys. But we just don't see them. We overlook them. Uh, this is the College Jeopardy finalist panel from 2014. Some of you who are Jeopardy buffs, you know, they do this college round where they take the best and the brightest college students. And this, in 2014, here they were. Uh, their names are Lori, Tucker, and Whitney. And they were in the second round of Jeopardy finals. And they're answering these questions. And they whizzed through, I mean, just flew through the first five categories uh, of the six that were there on the screen. I'm going to read to you a couple of the categories that they absolutely sailed through in the second round of play. One was uh, International Cinema Showcase. I can barely say that, let alone know anything about International Cinema Showcase. Uh, weather Verbs was another one of the categories. They just flew right through. Um, the third category was Kiwi Fauna. Kiwi Fauna. These college students, these are the brightest, smartest people. They flew through a category called Kiwi Fauna, and they actually knew answers to the questions. But there was this one category, and this was on TV. There was one category uh, that they did not touch. They answered zero questions from. They sailed through every single other category and left this one category completely untouched by the end of the second round. And that category was African-American history. Go back to that first picture. Are there people that we overlook? Not because we're bad people, not because we don't love Jesus, but because we just tend to overlook them. As a white, heterosexual male who was born in this country, there are people that I just, sometimes I just don't see. And the heart of God is to say, the shepherd leaves the 99 in search of the one because the goal is that there would be zero lost. The goal is that there would be zero people unconnected into community. Uh, no matter how genuine our faith, no matter how sincere our faith, Scripture would tell us the story of Philemon the book of Philemon would testify to the fact that all throughout history, God's people tend to have people that they overlook when it comes to the gospel. You ever wonder, like when you read the book of Philemon, you have to ask the question, why was it in here? <laughs> why did it survive all these centuries? Why is it part of, of the New Testament? And I believe the reason it's included in the Bible is to show us this picture of ourselves, to act as kind of a mirror to realize, oh, there are people we tend to overlook. We just don't see. And so, God, give us eyes to see. Give us uh, the ability to see the people in our world that we tend to overlook. I want to take you back to the story in Luke 15 of the shepherd with the sheep. I want to zero in today on, on uh, one sentence from that story. And it's just as I began to come back to this passage of Scripture and study it again for this series, this line has jumped out at me. It says, when the shepherd, uh, when he has found it, when he's found the lost sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he draws near to that sheep. He picks it up and he puts it on his shoulders and he bears the burden of carrying the, the sheep back to the flock. He does all the work. The shepherd picks it up and the shepherd does all the work. He bears the entire burden to bring the sheep back to the flock. That has jumped out at me as I've returned to this story in this passage of scripture. You know why? Because I got to thinking about it. If I was a shepherd and I had a shepherd's staff 
and I had a sheep that wandered off, and I had to leave 99 sheep, and I had to go looking for this one sheep, I would have a, a use for my shepherd staff when I found that sheep. You know what I'm saying? Uh, me and that sheep would have some words when I finally found that sheep. Isn't that you? Isn't that how you would be too? I would beat the sheep with this. I'd be like, get back there to the flock. It's not what the shepherd does. The, the shepherd, when he finds that lost sheep, he draws near, he picks it up, it's, he puts it on his shoulders he treats the sheep as if it's something of great value to him. He treats the sheep as if it has dignity. And he brings it back to the flock. And the message he sends to the flock as he brings it back says something to the rest of the flock about how the shepherd feels about that sheep. One, one could almost say, the shepherd makes himself nothing for the sheep. He takes on the very nature of a servant. That passage of scripture that is going to be the anchor passage for this series that Corey read a little bit earlier before we sang that song, Jesus, Son of God, talks about that's what Jesus did for us. That's the heart of God. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but he made himself nothing. The Greek word there is the word kenosis. It literally means to empty yourself, to give of yourself, to make yourself nothing. And took on the very nature of a servant that's, that's the heart of God for us. That's what Jesus did in pursuit of us. That's the heart of the shepherd with the sheep. That's the heart of God. If we can get our eyes around that, if we can get our mind around that and let it transform us to the core of our being, that's the heart of God for his people. He makes himself nothing to bring back the lost sheep. Uh, a couple years ago, my grandmother died. Uh, she was 92 years old at the time of her death. And for the last couple years of her life, she was in and out of a nursing home. Uh, she had dementia, and as, that, as she declined and her dementia got worse and worse, there was just a need to, to put her in um, this nursing home. And so I remember the first time uh, I went to visit her at the nursing home, and uh, I got there, and just as I got there, I hadn't even gone in the room yet. Um, she actually was in this room, and she shared the room with another lady who also was suffering from dementia. And it, just as I got there, the orderlies, I don't know if that's the right word, the, the staff people that kind of changed the bed sheets and do all that, came in right as I uh, was getting there. And so I didn't introduce myself. I didn't say, hey, I'm her grandson. I just stood out in the hall. Uh, I didn't even go in the room. I stood out in the hall, and, I, and they went in, and uh, they began to do what they had to do to change her bed sheets, to, you know, take care of her needs. And I remember just standing out in the hall and, and watching them with my grandma. And uh, she was confused. She kept asking them, like, the same question over and over and over again. And... I wouldn't say they were mean to her. They weren't mean. They weren't cruel. But uh, they were just kind of, they had a job to do. You know what I mean? So they're, they're trying to get their things done. They're not really answering her questions. They're not really looking at her or interacting with her. You can tell she's getting more and more worked up about this. Uh, and at the end of the day, I mean, I, I remember just sitting there watching them do this. And it was this weird feeling of just kind of going, man, that's my, that's my grandma. And I didn't say anything. And I wouldn't say they were out of line or anything. They, they, just, they just had a job to do. And they just had to get that job done. They had other patients they needed to see. My grandma was just somebody they could overlook. She was just another patient with dementia who wouldn't even remember them five minutes later after they left. She, she was just a person they could overlook. Uh, the next time I went to visit her at the nursing home, uh, we were there. And I can't remember exactly who of my family was there. I remember it was my dad and mom and maybe my brother, but we were in the room with her, sitting right there by her bed, 
and this time, uh, we were already in there sitting when the orderlies came in, when the folks came in who were uh, there to change the bed sheets. And I recognize them. They're the same human beings I remember seeing. Like, I recognize their faces. These are the same people, uh, these, this couple of people who came in. But this time, when they came in the room to do their jobs, it was different. This time, they acted completely different. This time, they slowed down. This time, they talked to her. They looked her in the eye, and, and they kept, they answered, they made an attempt to answer her questions that she kept asking again and again. Uh, as they went about their tasks, they, they, they were just, they interacted with her in a completely different way. Same people, same human beings that had been in the room the last time I had come. You know what was different? The difference was we were there. The difference was when they walked in the room this time, they could see they were in the presence of someone who knew her. Someone who knew who she was. Not just knew who she was, but knew who she used to be. Who, who had lived a life with her. Who called her mom. Who called her grandma. And when they saw that, when they, when they realized that, it changed the way they interacted with her. It made them slow down. It made them look her in the eye. It made them treat her not just as another patient with dementia in, in the, the hospital they worked at, but as a human being who was sitting there right in front of them. Something happens when we stand next to the people in our world who are overlooked. Whenever we stand next and we draw our proximity closer to people in our world who are overlooked, it changes us, it changes them, and best of all, it changes the way everybody else in our society sees them. The shepherd says, you want to know what I do when I find a sheep that's lost and has wandered away from the flock? I'll tell you, Jesus says. The shepherd draws close to the sheep. He picks it up. He puts it on his shoulders. And he does the work to carry it back home to the rest of the flock. And what do you think the message gets sent to the rest of the flock when they see? This is what the shepherd does with a sheep that wanders off. That's the heart of the father. That's the heart of the shepherd that goes after the sheep. That's what Jesus did for us. When we draw near to those who are overlooked in our world, it changes things in our society. So today as we talk about what's the next step, what's the challenge for today, I just want to um, put it in these kind of terms. I want to just call this the proximity challenge. <laughs> and I'll explain what I mean by that. I'm, I, I want to just encourage you and challenge you this week to just ask the question, who in my world do I overlook? Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a, maybe it's even a relative, maybe it's somebody who serves with us on a board we're on or something like that. But who is it that, that's right underneath our nose? We just overlook them when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to our lives. We just don't see them. But what I want to challenge you to do is I want to challenge you to do something this next week to draw nearer in proximity to them. What, that might mean something as dramatic as you actually invite them to come to church with you and, you and you go with them. You actually meet them here and sit with them and, and actually draw in close proximity enough to them in their life to be with them. It, it may not be that. Maybe what you do this week is you just, you just begin to say, God, give me eyes to see them. Help me to really understand them. Maybe all you do is you just take a step of generosity with that person this week. You draw close in their life and you meet a need they have. You just bless them in some way financially in, in a way that just says, I see you. I see the life you live. I see the struggles that you have. But, but I want to challenge you to draw in closer proximity to someone that you tend to overlook 
Because the heart of the shepherd is zero lost sheep. Zero lost people. Zero unconnected in community. And just begin to draw in proximity because it's proximity, my friends, that changes the world. It's proximity that spreads the gospel. It's proximity that is modeled for us over and over again in Scripture. And the reason I say that is because uh, our world right now, the divisions between us uh, as people in our world right now are just increasing and getting worse and worse. I believe one of the reasons that's happening is because people right now are standing at a distance from each other and are shouting to each other on Facebook. Have you noticed this? This is what our world does. We stand at a distance from people who are different from us and we just yell at them from a distance over social media. That changes nothing. It helps nothing. What actually changes is people is when we move in closer proximity to actual human beings, we draw closer to them, to people who are different from us, and then we begin to listen, we begin to encourage, we begin to speak about our own lives. That's what actually heals and changes things in our world. So, who do you overlook? Who needs Jesus? Who, who is your, we, we, the phrase we use a lot of times is, who is your one life? Who's the one that you would leave the, the 99 for? Who's your Onesimus? Who is it right in your midst that you see every day, but you just overlook them? Maybe God will give you a name, even right now, um, of, a, of a person like that. I want to show you a video here. Uh, we've celebrated several of these uh, stories of changed lives, but they've all been from this campus, the North Campus. Uh, this is the first one that we're going to show that's from South Campus which is really cool. This is a story of a changed life. Her name is Ashley, and Ashley got baptized in August, our last baptism service that we had. Uh, she got baptized at South Campus, has come to know Christ over the last year, so I'll let her tell you a little bit of her story. Go ahead. I came to Frontline about a year ago. I live in Catwood, friends with people from Byron Center, and they invited me to church one time, and I was like, sure, why not? There was a, it was right when we started the Zero campaign. It was the first week with Zero Lost Souls, and the week before they had had to put names on rocks to, that was that person that they were supposed to bring back to Jesus, and I was apprehensive. I was definitely convinced that the ceiling was gonna cave in, and I was gonna catch on fire, and and I didn't, obviously, and. Here, here we are a year later, and I can't think of a better decision I've ever made. Before I met Jesus, I was definitely on the wrong track. I, you know, was making really bad decisions, doing things that my mother would be very unhappy with if she ever knew. Um, I just wasn't doing what the right thing was. I was just, it was really bad. I was doing really bad things, drinking, you know, out of control, you know, making really bad decisions, and I just, it was, it was definitely, I was going the wrong way. The enemy was definitely in control of my life. I first encountered Jesus, like, I was raised in a, with a mother who, you know, brought us to church, and, you know, that, but that was just what we did. I didn't really mean anything when I was younger, because I probably, because it wasn't my choice. I would, you know, Sunday morning you get up, you put on your church dress and your hat and you go to church and you sit through Sunday school, you get a snack and you go home. It's pretty much how life was when I was younger. Growing up, you know, it was kind of the same thing, but then when I became an adult, I kind of drifted back and forth, but the real big moment was when I was invited to church and I kind of 
the sermon that week, it was, it just hit me. It was like, oh, like this is basically speaking to me, telling me this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. This is where I'm supposed to be. Like the decisions I'm making are the worst decisions I could possibly be making. And, you know, he's going to fight for me to come back. Those were the exact words was that, you know, Jesus is going to seek you. He's going to, you know, go and find you. He's fighting for you. And it was like, it kind of was that aha moment of, you know, this is what I needed to hear. I needed to know that I was worth it and that he still loved me even though I had done really bad things in the past. After meeting Jesus, it's been a complete 180. I feel my anxiety level has gone down a lot. Like, I don't feel like I have to shoulder everything myself. I don't feel like I have, you know, everything coming at me every which way. I can kind of just take a deep breath and know that, you know, if, you know, my mom taught me early on that if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. And I really feel that now. Being baptized, I was really nervous and I was, convinced that I was going to continue screwing up and that it wasn't going to mean anything, but it was more, it was my public proclamation that, you know, Jesus is my Lord and Savior and he is going to hold my hand and have my back regardless. And I just feel like I'm in a better place. I feel like I feel a lot happier. I feel like my depression's gotten a lot better. So I just, yeah, it's been, it, my life is amazing now. I'm Ashley Cariello and I'm a transformed follower of Jesus. Praise God for Ashley. Uh, you may not have uh, picked it up there, but at the beginning she said, somebody put my name on a rock, and uh, then they pursued me. And the story behind that is, when we talked about zero at South Campus, uh, the, the people who were there were challenged to think about who is, the, who is your one, who is the person you need to uh, draw in close proximity to and go after and leave the 99 for and just go and have the heart of God for. And so there's a guy uh, at South Campus, his name is Pete. And if Pete were standing here right now, Pete would tell you, I've heard him say it many times, he, he would say, I've never invited someone to church in my entire life. He's been a part of the church for years, part of the, the, the campus for years, um, but uh, would say, I've never in my life tried to invite anybody to church. And so that day when that challenge was given, Pete wrote Ashley's name down on his rock. It was just the name of the person that he tended to overlook that God just put in his heart in that moment. And the rest is the story that you saw. And that's the way the world has changed. That's the way one person, one human being's life at a time, as we actually draw in close proximity, the shepherd picks up the sheep, carries it back, draws in close proximity to it. And so uh, today, you've got a bulletin, you've got a, a pen, you know, right there, hopefully nearby you, uh, and your notes that are there. Uh, what's, who's your Onesimus? What's your name? Who's the one that you'd write down? Maybe God, even right now, as we're, as we're talking, you know who it is. And maybe if you don't have a name, maybe the, the prayer is just, uh, as we pray here in a moment, God, give me eyes to see who I tend to overlook. And that's the question we're asking. Who are you overlooking? Who is it that, that you just need to pray? God, give me eyes to see, because the goal is zero lost, zero unconnected. And then as God begins to lay that on your heart, my challenge to you is this week, take that name with you and this week, do something to draw into closer proximity with that person. And maybe it'll be something dramatic this week. Maybe there's something already you know you need to go do. Maybe it won't be all that dramatic. Maybe it'll just be, I took a step 
I sat down and had a conversation. I listened. Whatever it is, go do it. Because when we draw in closer proximity to those we tend to overlook, it changes us. It changes them. And even the best yet, it changes the way the world sees all of us. And our world desperately needs that right now. So uh, I'd love if we could do this. Would you stand? And um, we're going to close with a song this morning and then a benediction afterward. But I'd love if we could just bow our heads for a moment and just have a, a moment of prayer. Maybe there's some of you here this morning who you'd say, man, that, I'm, I'm just like Ashley. Maybe you're here and you'd say, yeah, that, that's me. I'm the sheep that, that's wandered off. I'm the one who's been lost. And um, just like Ashley's words just in that video a moment ago, maybe today is a, a, an aha moment for you, awakening to realize Jesus has been fighting for me. He's been seeking after me. He's been pursuing me and chasing me. And this morning, maybe even right now in this moment, you just say a prayer just as an act of returning to God and just say, Jesus, I confess you right now as Lord of my life. I repent of my sin. I, I turn away from trying to fix myself, my own brokenness, and I just receive the new life you have for me. If you just pray that prayer, just, just say it even right now in your own words to the Lord. It's not about something you do. It's not about some way you try to make, fix yourself or make yourself presentable to God. It's about just returning to him just as you are right now in his grace. He's the shepherd that seeks you. And if you're, if you're saying that, if you're saying, Lord, I confess you as Lord of my life, Jesus, then, you are, then you've just come home. You're coming home. You're returning to God. You're allowing him to save you and to give you a new life in him. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray for each one of us. God, that we would just sort through where we are with you. And um, Father, for those of us maybe we're sitting here right now going, I don't know who my name is. God, would you just give us eyes to see? Show us who we tend to overlook who are right in front of our eyes. Uh, give us a sense of the power of your Holy Spirit and the gospel that has the power still, God, still even in this day to transform our world. And would you just light us on fire for a passion, with a passion for people who don't know you, uh, for people who have wandered away. Help us, God, to turn away from shouting at each other from a distance. <laughs> and help us, God, we repent of that. We repent of that attitude. And we, we say, God, show us how we can enter into closer proximity with people who we tend to overlook. And as we do that, God, would you change us? Would you change them? Would you change our world? Would, would you let us see your kingdom coming? We love you. It's in Jesus' name everybody said.